You have to guess what she's trying to teach you. I'd just like to start with a thank you to uh, the people who mow the lawn and uh, set up the food out back and the communion table, continue to encourage people here and visit the widows and um, just take care of the ins and outs of this church day after day. Uh, Don's still getting in there as well. Um, and it's just been really enjoyable to see everybody working together, following the leadership that we've had for years of Don and continue to have and uh, most of all, just following the word of Christ, that we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we love one another in truth. So as a deacon and as someone who wants to handle the word correctly, I want to do what John does, and I want to uh, encourage you in love, encourage you in the truth. Uh, your job is to be like the Bereans who study the scripture day and night to see if these things that I'm saying are true, to compare the what I'm saying to the word of God, not your experience, not what you like or don't like. Uh, God doesn't care necessarily about what you like or don't like. He cares about truth. And um, so it's your job to kind of search the scripture, compare your feelings to the word of God, and eject your feelings or transform your feelings by the truth. Um, I often tell people when they're led by their feelings, it's like walking into the bathroom at night and knowing there's nobody that's going to pop out from the shower. But there's always this like weird fear when you're home alone and it's dark and everybody's asleep that for sure like somebody's got to be behind the shower curtain. And you have all the feelings and all the emotions that that's true. And you're trying to like tell yourself it's not true. Now maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only Greg's looking at me like I've never been scared of that in my life. <laughs> right? But what do I need to correct my feelings is the truth. And so, of course, with the bat in one hand, and my other hand, I rip over the curtain, and there's no one there. And where do my feelings go? The correct direction. The right way is there's no one there. And next time, calm down a little bit. Right? Stop watching the movies or whatever that's getting you all riled up with the lie and start believing the truth. Well, a lot of us hold on to things that we think are true, but are lies. And our emotions are just driven by the lie. God's not going to take care of me. He won't forgive me. I have too many kids. I didn't have enough kids. I didn't. Whatever it is, our fears just build until they're rectified by the truth. And so that you can have right emotions. So like when someone succeeds, you can have joy in their success. Because you're not thinking about, oh, woe is me. I didn't succeed. Or uh, that person just seems so fulfilled but then you don't get to see what's behind those closed doors. You don't get to see what their life is like. The truth of the matter is that we're all broken. We all need encouragement. So scripture helps to guide your feelings, your emotions, your actions. So I really encourage this church body, uh, just focus on the truth and let that drive your emotions. Let that drive your actions and let that drive your conversations. What was happening in this church was that they were doing great in the love and they were doing great in the truth, 
but so much so that they were kind of missing some of the error that was coming in. And John shoots this quick letter out. It's one of the shortest letters, hopefully just to get it out there so that the people can be warned ahead of time or warned as quick as possible that these people are kind of creeping in to the church. Quick recap from last week. Again, we're in 2 John, so as much as you can, make sure you're always looking down in your Bible, making sure what I'm saying is correct. I'll be in the ESV. It might be a little bit different for some of you in the NIV, um, but it's not a big change. Last week, we looked at the first three verses. I stopped for a long time on what election means or choosing means. Um, We see how God saves out of his own free will. God is the only one who is truly free in the truest sense, right? We say, oh, I'm free. But then, like, anytime we set up a standard for ourselves, I'll never lie. What do you do? You lie. I'm never going to eat that cheeseburger again because I remember what it did to me last week. And then what do you do? You forget and you eat that cheeseburger again, right? We, we are not truly free in the sense that God is truly free. We set a standard and then we break it. We quickly forget. We don't know all the things. God cannot change. His decisions are what they are and they don't move. He loves you and that doesn't change. He's chosen you and that doesn't change. And if he's chosen you, you will be saved and that's it. And if he's chosen you, you'll choose him and you'll love that. There is no forcing your hand. You are not free like God is free. In fact, you're either a slave to sin, Scripture says, or you're a slave to God. The only one who is truly free is God. So you are free to live and you are free to make choices, but you're not free in the ultimate sense like God. The world just wants you to be like you are your own God. You make your own decisions. You are the boss of your own world, but that is not true. You're controlled by like a myriad of things that you don't even think about. Your appetites and desires. I would love to love fruit, but I don't. I hate it. I wish that would change. But I just don't. Because I'm not free like God is. Um, And that's important when you make these decisions and when your emotions are controlled by the thought. Like, I need to be free or else God is bad. God is the only one who's truly free. In that sense. But we are free in a different sense. When God makes us free, now we are no longer slaves to sin. But now we are free to choose Christ, to serve Christ, to love people because of Christ. Right? That passage that I read said, Jesus Christ died. This is love. That Jesus Christ died for us. And we, therefore, should love others as Christ has loved for us. Give up our lives for others. The scripture redirects our emotions and our thoughts and our minds so that now when I see someone, I go, okay, Jesus died to save me, a sinner. I can love them. If God can love me, I can love them. So um, because of that, because of the election of God, we have nothing to boast in. God didn't choose me because I'm beautiful or because I have a ton of money or because I made all the right decisions on the stock market or whatever it is, right? Right? God chose me out of his free will, true freedom that God has for his own purposes. As Christians, we choose Christ because he first chose us, and that's one of the scriptures that I read last week as well. And because of that, we should be the most loving, the most humble. We're on the team not because of our choice, but because of the God who chose us. And now we can do nothing but choose God. Nothing but share the truth of God. Nothing but show the love of God in humility. I didn't choose Christ because I'm smarter than you or because I'm more humble than you. I chose Christ because he first chose me, and that's it. 
you can choose them as well. So this week we're going to continue in 2 John, and we're going to see what was the big issue that John needed to get this letter out. We'll start with verse 4 here today. He says this in verse 4, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Stop right there. Every now and then, someone will say to me, and someone has said to you, I saw your children today. They did such a good job. And what are your first thoughts? They're like, well, you should come to my house at about uh, 6.30 tonight when I tell them all to go to bed. Or you might see something different. But at first, too, there's also this pride, like, okay, my kids are doing good. My kids are doing good without me watching them doing good, or threatening them to do good, or bribing them to do good. They're doing good because they're doing good. And he says this, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. I don't know if this some of means I've only met some of and they seem to be doing good, or some of your kids are doing great, the other ones a little iffy. I don't know for sure, but I know that it's good to hear those things about your children. And I know that's good for you to encourage other parents and other people. And this is what John is doing, just like some of us would do. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we are commanded by the Father. I also want to point this out, that they're walking in the truth. That means a steady, continuous journey with the Father in the Word, grounded, not ping-ponging and bing-boinging all over the place, but steady, faithful, walk with the Lord, a trust in Him. Um, It's a good thing to see. Not somebody who's just saying it on Sunday, the rest of the week there's no walk. But I rejoice greatly to see some of your children walking in the truth. It's an encouragement to the elect lady. Verse 5 says this, I rejoice greatly to see your children walking in the truth. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I are writing you a new commandment, so I'm going to tell you it's not new, but the one we've had from the beginning. This is the commandment, that we love one another. Continue to love one another. This is nothing different. So he's continuing to tell them, you guys, pound that into your brains. Me, pound that into my brain. Today, is, as we get done with church, and I'm tired, and I want to take a nap, I'm going to try and love my family and they're going to try and love me the same way why because i'm worthy of love no but because christ died for them because christ who was perfect died for sinful man so we need to encourage one another with that so his message to them is love one another nothing new he wants them though to love one another in the right way They were already eager to love one another. It seems like they were doing a good job. The kids were doing a good job too. It was flowing right down through the entire church. But there's a difference between loving in a worldly way and loving in a biblical way. If it's not grounded in the truth, then love starts to get twisted. And you know this today by the popular slogan, love is love. What in the world does that even mean if there is no grounding in the truth? Right? Why not love a dog like you love your wife? Why not? 
Why not love a guy like you love your wife if you're a guy? Why not love a girl like you love your wife? It's like it all just gets blended and distorted and love gets so twisted. Love becomes uh, just doing whatever you can to make yourself happy. You need to love yourself. Love is not about making you happy. Love is that you found your joy in Christ and you're loving other people by laying down your life. Uh, Leah always jokes that she was going to be zero children, head of the corporate world. (laughs) She is neither of those things. And she doesn't even know why she had those thoughts, because she doesn't want to talk in front of people, (laughs) boss anybody around, um, etc. Right? We have these hopes, we have these dreams in our head, and we think that that's the way I'm going to love myself. Um, But it's not the truth. Sometimes it's just a figment of our imagination, Right? The truth is that my wife now has to love five going on six children, in case not everybody knew that. And she cooks, and she cleans, and she homeschools, and God bless her, that's like the biggest sacrifice. And if she doesn't do that because Christ loves her, and Christ gave himself up for her, then she can become like the angriest woman. I'm not saying she does that. All of us can do that. Right? If it's not out of a genuine love for what Christ has done for you, it becomes resentful. It becomes resentment. It becomes, I'm better than this. Why don't the kids respect me? I've put in time and time and time and more time. Well, that is not how God reacts to us. When God sees us, he sees the finished work of Christ. He's not mad at you if you're his child. He finds joy in you. He loves you every day. And if you can recognize that, then you can offer a love that is constant, overflowing. Because God doesn't run out of it. We run out of it. God doesn't run out of it. So if your love for your children, if your sacrifice is drawn from there, then you got more. If it's drawn from here, or if it's drawn from a desire to make them better, this time, if I love them so hard, they're going to be better this time. And then you can feel it like you get angry. I love them so much and they still don't respect me. Like, you can feel it. I love my neighbor so much. I gave him my ladder like every week and he still hasn't given it back to me. And every time I ask to use his car, he won't let me in. Like, it all becomes, what can I get? It's not really love. Love from Christ is I'm satisfied here. So I can give you whatever you need. What is it that you need? With no resentment, nothing hanging over your head. Not like, I'll help you move this time, but you're going to help me move next time. It's just, I got everything I need. I'll help you today. Sure. So they were doing pretty good at that, it sounds like. Verse 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So when she says, like, this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, the commandment is like what I read today in John. The commandment is this, to believe in Jesus Christ. To believe in the Father. To believe in the one that he sent. That is God's commandment for you. Believe in that. That's how you fulfill the commandments. Believe in that and then love your neighbor. It flows out of that. Also, love is obedience, right? So my kids, dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. Okay, if you loved me, you would do what? Just obey whenever I say, do the thing. If you love me, you would not just give me a hug, but you would 
whatever I asked you to do today that you didn't do. I asked you to mow today. I appreciate the hug when I came through the door, but the lawn's not mowed. If you love me, you might mow that lawn, right? Whatever it is, um, just to say I love you, just to buy the flowers for your wife, but every other day ignore her completely, that is not what she's looking for, and that's not what love is. Love is obedience to God. Love is a belief in the truth as well. Love is a sharing of the truth as well. Love is a sharing of the truth at a time that it's going to be uncomfortable to share it. Because even in telling the truth, you're sacrificing your life. Maybe your job. Maybe your marriage. Maybe whatever it is, you're sacrificing it. Some relationship for the truth. And that's tough. And I think it's getting tougher and tougher, it seems like, recently, at least in the U.S. So love believes and tells the truth. The world today, it's selling, it's promoting lies by the minute. Like constant ads of lie after lie. Drink this, smoke this, put this on your face, whatever it is, it's going to give you everything you ever wanted for $19.99. Lies, right? You've all lived long enough to know that like 99% of the purchases you made didn't do the thing it claimed to on the side of the box, right? Frosted Lucky Charms are not magically delicious. (laughs) I mean, they're pretty good when you're young, but at this stage in my life... There's no more magic in those things. See, the world wants to tell you this. They don't want you to feel bad about your sin. They don't want you to feel bad about disobeying God. They want you to feel bad if you speak about the exclusivity of Christ. You're narrow-minded. If you speak about the sanctity of marriage, you're stuck in the past. If you speak about the sanctity of life and how abortion is the murder of a child, well, then you hate women and you want to keep them all in slavery. If you say, children do not get to decide their own gender, God has already determined that, then you are the cause of their suicides. You see how the world just twists every truth To make truth look like evil and evil look like good. And that's exactly what scripture says. You can't even argue with that. 100% is what scripture says. The world has redefined love outside of scripture. No foundation. Scripture gives you the foundation. God is love. Jesus died for sinners. In this is love that he died for us. While we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. So let me read again 1 John 3, 16 to 24, and pay attention to these truths. 1 John 3, 16 to 24 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good, sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Pause there. Retain this, because this is part of the struggle in 2 John. John has just told them, if you see someone in need, you need to help them. If you have the world's goods and you see them in need, you need to help them. So they got this down. Because pay attention, in 2 John, something's going to happen different. They got this. They're doing this. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. These people are doing this. 
By this we'll know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemns us, God's greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Pay attention. What pleases God is doing his commandments, right? And then what is his commandment? And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Who gives you the ability to keep his commandments? God does. God who elects you so that you can believe in the son. Everything is coming from God. Your repentance, your forgiveness, your choosing, all these things are coming out flowing from God. It's just like the um, covenant made with Abraham, right? God did everything in that. God keeps it, fulfills it, provides the sacrifice, does all the things. Same in salvation. Jesus Christ lived, died, intercedes, seated on the throne. He did all that. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, that we love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Notice this too. If you are kind, and if you are loving, and if you do not have Jesus, you have nothing. What is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? If this reality of heaven and hell, if this is a real thing, then to be loved by everybody, to have a billion followers on whatever social media platform you have, to be known of as the nice guy will get you nothing without Christ. Absolutely nothing. You are just a self-righteous person like the rest of us with no Savior. And that's it. So you can have all the love you want to, but without Christ you have nothing. If there's no truth there in Christ. Jesus is both the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through him. There's a balance all throughout John's writings where salvation is solely a work of Christ, which therefore produces in us actions and beliefs that are consistent with the truth. There's no way around that in Scripture. If we say we have no sin, the Bible says, the truth is not in you. If we do not acknowledge Jesus has come in the flesh, we're not of God. These are all things that John has said in 1 John in a couple different places. So verse 7, here's the big point here, right? People have been hospitable. They're getting the love part. They have the world's good. They're seeing somebody in need and they're giving it to them. Verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, this is the the twist here. If anybody comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, 
I was telling my Sunday school class, because it's hard to relate to these times, but we still do some of this, right? You have a missionary who's given up their life to go work in Africa or wherever. They have people here who are sponsoring their travel. Now imagine we heard that these people are preaching not the truth of Scripture, but they're in fact preaching a lie. That Jesus did not come in the flesh, he's just a spirit. What would we have to do as a church? Would we continue to supply their needs? No, we could not. And this is where, as you mature in Christ, you start to understand these truths. Okay? Whenever I say supply their needs, obviously if they're dying in the parking lot, we're trying to help them. That's not the point. But if they're bringing in a message that is contrary to the truth, we are not saying, come in. You're welcome here. Oh, you need a place to stay? Let me put you up. Oh, you need to uh, have a little bit of spending money for your travels? Let me give you some money. No, because we know that what is most important is the salvation of people. Because this world is temporary. We will be reborn. This is a momentary and light affliction, Scripture calls it. And what they're offering people is only a door to hell. But we want to bust the doors of heaven open. We want to keep the gates to hell closed as tight as we can. Offer home and assurance and rest and peace. These people were offering lies. Just like those products on the internet. Saying this is going to get you there, but it's not going to get you there. So there was this very real danger that they were going to be hospitable to people who are bringing in lies. And then the visitors and the people outside were going to go, oh, so you guys believe what these guys believe. This is where a lot of churches get into trouble with ecumenism, where they start to be um, Protestants and Catholics working together in harmony. Whatever it is, this holding of hands that distorts the truth and confuses everybody, leaving them not on their way to be with Christ, but on their way to be in hell. But there's a very real danger in all of our conversations as well, that we give up truth for peace and hospitality. So not just people coming in here. Um, I was with Greg the other day, and we were working at a job in Mayville, and it started talking about these very spiritual things, about heaven and hell and what's true and what's not true. And this lady was like, well, I believe that everybody's a child of God and that we all get to go to a good place. What do you think? I think that's absolutely wrong. (laughs) Now, this is at lunchtime on a job for a client of mine, and I have a decision to make right there. I keep my mouth shut. I say what she wants me to say, or I say the absolute opposite thing. (laughs) And Greg is there for the whole thing. I don't know if he chimed in very much, but I'm not a quiet person, so he probably didn't get a chance anyways. There's probably zero opportunity (laughs) Um, But it was just like that. The whole conversation was painful because it was like, don't you believe that? And I was like, no, I don't believe that. This is what I believe. Okay, but don't you believe this? No, that is not what I believe. And so I'm waiting for somebody to be like, you need to go now. Um, But she didn't. And actually, uh, my client's daughter came to church that next Sunday and listened uh, to a service here. Um, But these are the opportunities that you have and I have every day. Where you're in a conversation, what this person is saying is absolutely false, top to bottom. But especially if it's of Christ, 
you have an opportunity there to speak the truth in love because you care about them. Hey, what you're saying is probably the thing that's making you depressed. Just constantly bad-mouthing everybody, that's not what God would have for you. He wants you to know that you could have peace and you could have hope, that you're no better than them. And yet God loves to die for the worst kind of people, right? There's opportunities like that all the time. Um, But you're going to lose some things. And this is what it means. You're going to lose what you have here to gain everything there. You're going to lose your job and you're going to lose your friends if you care about them, if you love them. This is the weird thing about Christianity is you need to love someone enough that they will never speak to you again. That's tough. Love your children enough that they might never speak to you again because you hold to a conviction that they absolutely despise. But it's true. You're not speaking it out of pride or arrogance. We've already shown that that's not true. You've done nothing to gain your salvation, but in fact it's in love. It's very hard. You will lose all the things, some of the things. Because you love people. Because most of all you love Christ. The crux of the gospel is that Jesus came in human form in order to die for sinful man. What these people were saying, and this is what's important to the gospel, and if you've never looked at the gospel and kind of dissected what it means, why does it matter that Jesus came in human flesh? I was asking these questions to my Sunday school kids this morning. Um, Because I kind of have the opportunity to run through my sermons before I give them all to you. So my kids get the rough draft. You guys get the finished product. But the reason why God had to come in human form is because the first Adam, the actual Adam, sinned. And in Adam, we all die. The second Adam, who is Christ, came into this world. So God, who could not die, became human being so that he could die. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. This is an understanding of the gospel that you need to have and understand. Because these people were saying, Jesus is fully God, and he came down in spirit, but he didn't die. He might have looked like he died, but he didn't, because God can't die. That's true. But what we say as Christians, and what's been said from the beginning, nothing new here, is that God became man. So God the Son took on human flesh. And he had to do that because he had to be a man who could have the opportunity to sin and yet never sin once. Scripture says that he was tempted in every way and all that means is that he was offered riches just like you've been. He was offered power just like you've been. If only he would give up truth and profess a lie then he could have all those things. So Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without fault. He never sinned. And the only way he could do that is by being a man. So Jesus becomes a man. He does not sin. He lives a perfect life in our place, always being obedient. Your salvation is not based on your obedience. You have an alien obedience, an alien righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. If he had not become a man then it would not be a man being righteous. You would not have the perfect substitute. But because he was a man, you have the perfect substitute who walked and followed the Father perfectly, never sinned, perfectly, died 
for your sins. But also because he was God, he was able to bear the weight of the sins of all those who would believe on the cross. So this perfect blend of man and God is who Jesus is. And these people were distorting that. So they were missing the gospel and they were missing who Jesus was. A lot of people say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Right? It would be like somebody saying, oh, I know Joshua. Yeah, he's like, he's like three foot four. You know, and he, uh, yeah, he drives a Prius. And uh, I think he's vegan, isn't he? Yeah, he's vegan. You're like, ah, you must have the wrong Joshua. The Joshua I know is yay tall, drives a big 15-passenger gas guzzler, and definitely eats meat. Yeah, I ate a lot of ribs last night. So that's the truth. That's the true Joshua. Well, the Jesus that is in Scripture is both God and man. And if you know this Jesus, you have the right Jesus. And if you don't, you are following a stranger. You're following a liar and a deceiver. And what John is saying, be careful because you're helping these liars and deceivers continue with their ministry. You're being hospitable, which is great, but you need to stop. That is not loving in truth. If you want to love them in truth, you need to say no. If you want to love the people in your congregation, you need to say leave. You will not put them up in your house because this is a short time on this earth. And you're preventing people from living the short time here and forever in hell. Instead, you're encouraging them to live to the glory of God and live for Christ forever. These people don't want that. So John is saying, love, love, love. And this is how you might have to love. You might have to tell them, no, leave. We cannot partner with you. You're just bringing a false Jesus. I don't know your Jesus. Your Jesus is not real. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? Mormons think that Jesus is the devil's brother. He just made the right choice. Jehovah's Witnesses think that Jesus is just Michael the Archangel, but not God. Uh, Muslims think that Jesus is just a prophet. Spiritual people think that Jesus is just kind of like a good teacher. He says some good things just like Buddha did. All absolutely lies. There's no hope in those Jesuses. They're all strangers. They're all three foot four Vegans driving a Prius. Not that there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) But they're not the right Jesus. It's so destructive helping someone who brings these things into the church with seeing as partaking in their wickedness. It just wasn't like, ah, that's kind of a bad idea. You probably shouldn't do that. It was, you're going to lose some of your reward. You're going to try and love them But in doing so, you're gaining no reward because you're just helping in their wickedness. You're, in fact, partially responsible for the growth of their wickedness and their spreading of the lies, right? How do we do that as Christians? How do you do that as a Christian? What are you letting in? What are you letting people teach? What are you reading? What are you passing on as a book? Have you actually saw, is that a good book? Is that a good reason? Is the same Jesus that's in Scripture in this material that I'm handing out? Am I speaking the gospel that's true? Or am I just making up something that's going to make my friend feel good? Like if I just tweak the gospel a little bit this way, if I only talk about heaven, if I never talk about sin, um, if Jesus is just a really nice guy that you can believe in or not believe in and you'll be just fine, you got a problem. There's only one Christ in Scripture. See, the people thought they were being loving and hospitality, but they were, in fact, harming people. And this is what John wanted to write about. You're doing great with the love. 
You're doing great with the truth, but you're overdoing it with these deceivers who are coming in. You're not paying attention. You're overzealous. You're losing some of your reward. You're participating in their wickedness. You need to stop and love in the right way and truth. Verse 12, I have much to write to you, he says. I'd rather not use paper and I'd rather not use ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Um, you can, I think we heard from the missionaries last time that this is often the case where um, there was a transition recently where people started saying, well, let's stop sending groups to see the missionaries in the field. Because why don't we just take 5,000, 10,000, whatever it would take to fly us all there, we'll just give that to them. And a lot of them started saying, no, no, why'd you stop coming? We wanted to see you face to face. Your letters are great, your money is great, but we'd love to see you. We'd love to participate with you in this ministry out here. And so John is saying, I'm going to write you this short letter, but I'm going to get there soon and we're going to talk face to face. Person to person. Virtual reality is kind of taking over the world right now. I'm somewhat uh, sucked in it myself right now. Um, but it's never really face to face there. It's good and it's fun, but it's not this. It's not sitting down. It's not seeing all the facial expressions. Uh, it's not holding hands or giving a hug if necessary. It's not crying on my shoulder or being super excited about whatever just happened in your life. It's not holding the person's child while you're trying to cook food or make a plate for yourself with a potluck, right? It's not uh, helping the elderly ladies out to the car after church, right? It's not the same. And John knows that. He says, hey, I'd write to you more, but I'm going to come there. If I keep writing, I might not show up. So I'm just going to end it here, and I'll see you soon. At 90 years old, he was about to make that trek to see these people because that was so important to him. So, you know, as a deacon, one of my jobs that I'm horrible at is getting out to people's houses and seeing them and saying, how are you doing? How can I be an encouragement? So this is kind of a little sermon to myself here that I hope to speak to you right now, but I also hope to come and sit with you as well and talk to you about our Christ and about the truth and about your life, as John did here. And he finishes in verse 13 like this. The children of your elect sister greet you can't get away from the elect in here he bookends it right at the beginning and right at the end by the way your elect uh, the children of your elect sister they greet you now i don't know uh, exactly what this looked like but here's a 90 year old man who is taking a second here i don't know if the kids are like tugging on his shoulder or they're reading what he's writing and being like hey could you just tag my my name at the end of your letter there just let my uh my aunt know that we say hi I don't know, but it's a very personal, very fun uh, interaction in this letter where it just says this. Hey, by the way, the children of your elect sister, they greet you. And it's funny to me because I got five kids. And there's always somebody when I'm on the phone or sending a text or doing something being like, hey, could you also tell, hey, could you say, hey, do you mind texting for me? Um, So I don't know if it's the same way with John or not. But from that perspective, it's super cute. Just being like, hey, could you uh, also just tell my aunt that I said hi. And that's how he ends the letter. I'll see you soon. Chill your uh, nieces and nephews say hi. And we'll see you later. So my encouragement to you is um, love God. Love the truth. Love the brethren. And defend the truth in love.
so that the gospel will not be distorted. Do you know the gospel? Can you defend it? Are you resting in it? The good news is that Jesus Christ died to save sinners of who we all are, rose on the third day, showing that he was God and conquered death, and will come again one day to take his children home to be with him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that it is good and healing. Help us to keep our eyes open to deception. Help us not to aid in uh, wickedness or in falsehood, um, but help us to desire to speak the truth in love, to walk in love, um, not to bounce all over the place, but to be consistent. Help us to believe in you and therefore keep the commandments and to love our brothers and sisters that stems from that love for you. I pray, God, that you would open the eyes of those who are blind here, the ears of those who are deaf, bring to life dead hearts, that they may know the good news that Jesus, who is God and man, came to save sinners, and that you put your faith and trust in the only hope that you have, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not your righteousness, because you have none apart from Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn books to 407. Let's stand and sing together all the way. My Savior leads me. Savior leads me, what am I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread. Gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter, and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal Wings its flights to realms of day This my song through endless ages 
Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Gracious Father, let this be our song, that all the way you have led us. There may be those who don't know you here, and Lord, we'd want them to know you. We'd want them to know the God who died for us, Jesus Christ, came, died, shed his blood, rose again, and he died when we were yet sinners. He loves us. He desires this relationship and gives us a Savior who will lead us everywhere through our life, helping guide us, give us direction, strengthen us, comfort us. Father, we pray that today, as we've heard the word, you would work in people's lives, that you'd help us to be more consistent in the way that we love. You would help those who do not know you to hear that love and desire it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the word that we heard. Teach us and help us to move on this scripture to be more like your son. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.